Police in Kresgeville, Pennsylvania, are alerted to domestic violence at a home on Hitty Road. Upon arriving, police questioned the neighbor who has phoned the call-in, only to be told that she heard a loud bang from in front of her house, followed by a high-pitched voice screaming, Help me. The woman states that when she looked outside, she saw a man being dragged back across the lawn and then across the road to a house on the other side. The troopers noticed blood smeared on the door and that the wooden banister next to the door is broken. They crossed the road, heading to the house of Daniel Haliva. Along the way, they find a blood-stained jacket. Reaching the home, they notice that there is blood smeared on the outside of Haliva's home. Still believing that they are dealing with a domestic violence situation, the police go and knock on the front door. It is soon answered by Manuel Marcus Sepulveda. The police begin to question Sepulveda, who denies any knowledge of the incident. He then states that he had been assaulted by two men. The troopers, not believing the story they are being told, handcuff Sepulveda and place him in the back of the patrol car, still believing they are on a domestic violence case. The police again ask the man where the woman is that he had been arguing with. Sepulveda responds, There is no she. They are in the basement. I shot them. The two troopers call for backup and wait for them to arrive. They notice there are other people inside the house, but decide to do nothing until their backup arrives. Once it does, they go inside and discover that they have stepped into a scene right out of a horror movie. Hello and welcome once again to the DeathCast. I'm your host, best-selling independent author Ian Totten. I'd like to thank you for joining me this week. We're going to be looking at a double homicide from Kresgeville, Pennsylvania. I know the area fairly well as it's somewhat near my neck of the woods. This is one that my better half had suggested to me a few months back. Before we get into the case, however, I'd like to get the plugs out of the way. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at AuthorTotten. You can also find me on Facebook at Ian Totten Author. There is a Deathcast group associated with that page. If you'd like to help support the Deathcast, there's a number of things you can do. You leave a five-star review wherever it is you find your podcast. They really do help the podcast out uh, by helping us rise up the charts and allow more people to hear us. You can also make a donation either through PayPal or Venmo if you are so inclined. This will help pay for production of the show. I'm also on Patreon if you are into that kind of thing. I believe there's two tiers on there. I know one of them has uh, free books if you've been a member for over, I think, 30 days. So go check that out. It's under Ian Totten. 
before I forget, I'd like to give you the book of the week. It's called Dream Reaper by Alistair Cross. It's a somewhat romantic horror novel. Uh, Alistair is a friend of mine. Uh, he is a fantastic writer. He's an internationally best-selling author who has partnered up with another international best-selling author by the name of Tamara Thorne. Uh, I can't recommend his work enough. Again, that book is Dream Reaper. Now that that's out of the way, uh, grab something to drink, sit back in a chair, relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes. Let's go into the crypt. Okay, so we're going to be looking at the murder of John Mendez and Ricardo Lopez which took place on November 26, 2001. And as I stated during the preamble, this is a case that my wife had suggested to me as she grew up in the area of Presqueville. This is a pretty brutal double homicide. So I want to throw out a warning that if you are of the squeamish sort you might want to use listener discretion on uh, this one. Like I said, it's pretty brutal. Once additional troopers arrived on the scene, they began searching the house, and they found the body of Ricardo Lopez beneath slabs of insulation and drywall material. He was in the basement. His pants had been pulled down to his ankles. And it was apparent almost instantly that he had been shot as well as hit with some sharp object. Upon further searching, the troopers found the body of John Mendez beneath a pile of laundry. Mendez had been stripped completely naked, and it was apparent at first glance that he had very similar wounds to those that Lopez bore, with the addition of... Mendez's thumb had been placed inside of his mouth, and he had a cord wrapped so tightly around his throat that it had actually broken through the skin and buried itself into the muscles of his neck. Almost instantly, the police had suspects, as Sepulveda had admitted to shooting the two men. But something about the scene did not make sense, so they began questioning the other people on the property. They learned that uh, Manuel Sepulveda, who was 23, lived with the property's owner, 44-year-old Daniel Arthur Haliva, and Haliva's girlfriend, Robin Otto, and their children. Now, the story they gathered from those gathered was that around 6.30 p.m., John Mendez and Ricardo Lopez arrived at the house to recover two guns that Mendez claimed belonged to him. Sepulveda retrieved the guns from an upstairs bedroom and gave them to Mendez, and the two men promptly left. Now, you're probably thinking this whole situation seems kind of fishy. Uh, that's because it is, because... What we have here is a group of drug dealers uh, and drug addicts. And for those who 
kind of look at where Kresgeville is and say that's kind of odd, you know, that's out in the middle of the sticks. Kresgeville is actually in the Pocono Mountains. For the last 20, 25 years or so, the Poconos have been inundated with a huge influx of people from New York and New Jersey. And unfortunately, with this influx of people has also come the crime that is associated with those two states. And along with that crime has come an influx of drugs. And it's really kind of devastated the area. There's certain areas around Kresgeville, such as Mount Pocono, the Stroudsburgs, areas like that that are known as havens for both drug addicts and drug dealers. This has led to a lot of resentment from the locals who call people from out of state front platers because here in Pennsylvania you don't have to have a front plate on your car. It's also resulted in what they used to call white flight, which is the people who are living in the area because of this influx of people from New York and New Jersey coming in, buying up the homes and building new homes. The Taxes have gone up as well as the price of everything else. So a lot of families that have lived here for generations, uh, immemorable, are selling their properties and getting out of the area because they can see it turning into New Jersey and New York white, and they don't like it. Almost immediately, the police suspected that drugs were involved just based on the information they had on hand, which was that none of the men involved in this thing were from the area. And I can tell you from talking to some reliable sources that pretty much everyone in town and in the surrounding towns knew the house as a drug den. More specifically as a crack den. It was an old farmhouse that had apparently been left to disrepair and the people who were living in the house as well as being drug dealers were also extreme drug addicts. Uh, the people I've talked to about this case have said that it, you, you could tell that there was heavy drug use going on. They were all gaunt looking uh, and strung out. So as the police looked into the story further, talking with Sepulveda, he said that the homeowner, Haliva, returned to the house with Richard Boyko and discovered that the guns were missing, and that after he explained to Haliva what had happened, Boyko called Mendez and told him to come back to the house. And around this time, another man who was living at the house, a Jimmy Frey, was sitting in the house watching television. And although he would later try and distance himself from what happened, he did admit it to being there and did provide witness testimony that when Mendez and Lopez returned to the house... Haliva refused to allow the both of them inside, only letting Mendez come in. Haliva apparently accused M 
Mendez of stealing the guns instantly, after which point a fist fight broke out that soon ended, and Boyko left as Sepulveda and Lopez joined the two other men in the kitchen, where they sat around discussing what had gone on. And it's worth noting that this group of addicts and dealers was a fairly close-knit unit, with Sepulveda being known as Uncle Petey, and Mendez being called Uncle Johnny by Helveda's children. And it's also, you can see the distrust that it exists among addicts towards one another, that Heliva reacted so violently to his weapons being stolen. Now, what happened next has been debated back and forth. According to Sepulveda, as the men sat around the table talking about what had happened and what needed to happen to make it right, another argument broke out, at which point he grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun as he believed Lopez was reaching for a gun of his own. Uh, Sepulveda shot Lopez, killing him pretty quickly, before turning the gun on Mendez and shooting him. Mendez did not die instantly as his friend had, and he began to beg and plead for his life before running from the house. He ran across HTY Road to the home of Denise Bailey, who had just moved into the neighborhood six weeks prior with her teenage daughter. They had moved there from Manhattan. Now, according to the neighbor, she and her daughter were inside their kitchen at around 12.30 a.m. when they heard the front of the house shake She and her daughter did not know what had happened. But moments later, the doorbell rang and she heard someone screaming in a high-pitched voice, Please help me. Bailey's daughter grabbed a butcher knife from the kitchen as the mother went to the front window to see what was going on, at which point she saw someone dragging another person who was fighting for their life back across the lawn, across the street, and into the property on the other side. Bailey then called the police, as well as a neighbor who came over to the house with a baseball bat, and they waited for the police to arrive. Back at Haliva's property... Uh, Mendez was first beaten with fists and kicks before Haliva fetched what he called a battle axe that he said he used for a fantasy game he played with his friends. Now this battle axe was really just a circular saw blade affixed to a piece of wood so that it wouldn't spin. And Haliva began to beat Mendez with the battle axe. It would later come out during trial from friends of Haliva that he liked to make implements of torture and often talked about using them on other people when he was under the influence of drugs. He 
here is a little bit of information that is not in any of the court records, and you will not find it online. I've learned this from talking to some of the locals, but apparently there was some sexual assault perpetrated on the bodies of the victims, hence the reason why Lopez's pants had been removed and why Mendez was completely naked. In fact, uh, one of the individuals I talked to said that yeah, they had heard Mendez had actually been sexually assaulted while still alive. The police learned the about the assault and the murders on scene, after which point they arrested Sepoliva Haliva Haliva's girlfriend Robin Elaine Ott, as well as taking both of her children into custody. As I stated earlier in the episode, this was a fairly open and shut case. Hence the reason why the episode is so dramatically short this week. Manuel Sepulveda was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, among other charges, and he was initially sentenced to death. He appealed this numerous times, and unfortunately, in November of 2016, Sepulveda was able to get his death sentence overturned, and instead had it changed to life without parole. Which, me personally, I don't agree with that. I do believe in the death penalty, and I think it is warranted in certain cases. Um, specifically in cases involving mur- first-degree murder, rapes, and child sexual molestation. But Pennsylvania is an extremely liberal state as far as the city's concerned, and a lot of people who live in those areas, as well as a lot of people who have moved into this state from out of the area, are arduently against the death penalty, which is why individuals like Sepulveda uh, are able to get away with murder and sit behind bars at taxpayers' expense. I know they say, oh, it costs more money to, you know, execute someone than it does to keep them alive. That's absolutely bullshit. If you put a number of limits on the number of appeals that they're allowed, it wouldn't cost so much. And I'm sorry, it's my personal opinion, but cold-blooded murderers such as Sepulveda do not deserve to live, do not deserve to sit in a nice, cushy jail cell until they're old and infirm, uh, doing whatever it is they want in state prison, because, let's face it, prisons are rife with drugs and alcohol. So he's basically doing exactly what it was he was doing on the streets, except now he's doing it on taxpayers' expense. Haliva... Haliva was convicted of second-degree murder, and he too will spend the rest of his life behind bars, which the police really didn't have any evidence to convict him of first-degree murder, beyond the fact that he 
demanded the men come back to the house and return his stolen property. And from the articles I read on the case, it doesn't sound like murder was premeditated, at least as far as he goes. I'm going to read a quick newspaper article from the Pocono Record from January 7th of 2011. Stroudsburg, a Monroe County jury on Friday found a Polk Township man guilty of helping to murder a New York City drug dealer, but the jury apparently does not believe he was the one who beat the victim with a homemade axe. After deliberating for more than six hours, the jury found Daniel Arthur Haliva, 44, of HTY Road, guilty of first-degree murder as an accomplice in the death of John Mendez, who had would have turned 22 on Friday. He's a scumbag, straight up, said Mendez's cousin, Nareda Garcia of Manhattan. Haliva will spend the rest of his life in prison without parole and could even be put to death. The same jury that heard this case will attend a hearing Tuesday to decide if he should receive the death penalty. Mendez's mom, Deborah Murphy, appeared emotionally drained from the trial. She said she couldn't commemorate Mendez's birthday properly because she was awaiting the verdict all day. Johnny was a fun-loving person, not a troublemaking kid, she said. If you needed a favor, the kid would take his shirt off his back and give it to you. The jury also found Haliva guilty of conspiracy to commit aggravated assault, unlawful restraint, and four counts of endangering the welfare of children. The jury found him not guilty of first-degree murder as a principal, third-degree murder as a principal, and aggravated assault as a principal, indicating the jury's not convinced Tovita was the one who hacked Mendez in the head and body several times with the homemade act, as the prosecutors alleged. Haliva admitted on the stand to dragging Mendez back to his home on November 26, 2001, after the young man ran to Haliva's neighbor's house to escape from being murdered. Haliva's housemate, 23-year-old Manuel Marcus Sepulveda, shot Mendez, and 20-year-old Ricardo Enrique Lopez Jr. moments earlier in Haliva's kitchen. Lopez died quickly, but Mendez fought deep for his life. After the bleeding Mendez ran out of the home, Haliva chased him, tackled him, and dragged him back, where he was eventually beat to death with a battle axe Haliva made for a fantasy game he played with friends. No one testified to seeing Mendez get beat with the axe. Fingerprints on the axe couldn't be identified, police found it lying under Sepulveda's clothes. Sepulveda was convicted of double homicide in 2002 for shooting the men is on death row awaiting execution. The jury doesn't believe Haliva hacked Mendez with the axe. It probably won't sentence him to death, said Monroe County District Attorney E. David Christine. Christine and First Assistant District Attorney Michael Mancuso said they were happy with the verdict because first-degree murder as an accomplice carries the same penalties as first-degree murder as a principal. It shows that the jury accepted the position of the Commonwealth that by dragging this man back to meet his doom, he should be held liable, just as Mr. Sepulveda was, Christine said. Mancuso credited state police at the least heightened barracks for a thorough investigation. Haliva claimed he did not beat the man with the axe and said he only dragged Mendez back to his home because Sepulveda threatened to kill him and his two children, now 8 and 10 years old, if he didn't. The two children were in an upstairs bedroom when the shootings occurred. 
Police say the house was filled with animal feces, filthy clothes, and dirty dishes. Sepulveda, who Haliva knew was wanted for murder in Puerto Rico, frequently babysat the kids, and Haliva's girlfriend and the mother of the children, Robin Pott, admitted to smoking crack while watching them. Sepulveda was a frequent drug dealer, and Haliva, a roofer, said he smoked crack from time to time. During closing arguments, Haliva's lawyer, Demetrius W. Fanick, said the jury could have let Haliva off the hook for murder as an accomplice if they believed that Haliva was under duress and dragged Mendez back unwillingly. Haliva and Mendez fought prior to the shootings. Haliva said he was enraged because Mendez stole guns from his home. Haliva also admitted to covering up Mendez's body with dirty clothes. Mendez was found naked with deep wounds on his back, arms, and head. He also had a cord wrapped around his neck, which authorities said was applied after he had died. Fanick is also the attorney for another man facing the death penalty. Hugo M. Selensky of Lorenz County. Five bodies have been found on Selensky's property and he's been charged with two murders. Selensky's case gained even more attention when he escaped from jail in October of 2013. So, that's the episode this week. Again, as I said, this was a short episode. Uh, This case was fairly open and shut, but it has opened the way for our next case that I'm going to be looking at, which I will begin researching uh, some point this week, and hopefully will be as fascinating as it looks to be. Our book of the week again is Dream Reaper by Alistair Cross. I can't recommend it enough. You can find it on Amazon in both print and Kindle and anywhere else that you get your books from. If you'd like to help support the show, again, the best way to do that is by leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. They really do help. Uh, the show grow. Until next week, I'm Ian Tot. Stay safe and stay morbid. Yes, yes.